Welcome to Social Distance Assistance. I'm Kelly. And I'm June. Like lots of you, we're devastated by the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and too many other Black people by the police. We're spending our time showing up for Black lives, we're working on our own internalized racism, and we're figuring out how we can make the work of dismantling white supremacy a part of our everyday lives. It's a lot of work. It's ongoing work. Change isn't just going to come from chants in the street. Even though chanting is really, really fun and the protests are working, we've got to stay committed to this work even after protesters' demands are met. So we've taken the week off from producing new material, and we'll bring you a brand new show next Tuesday about protesting during a pandemic. This week, we're revisiting our first episode about masks with some updated information. We saw a lot of people wearing masks at protests in the last couple of nights. Lots more than we did a week ago. Maybe the number of people wearing masks in Charlottesville is going up. I hope so. Even though so much about this disease is still unknown, we do know that if someone has COVID, they can spread it through droplets from, like, a cough or a sneeze. So it's good that we're seeing protesters wearing masks. Being in crowds and shouting comes with spit a lot of the time. There's other big mask news in Virginia. Our governor is requiring almost everyone to wear a mask inside buildings. So that's in salons, museums, stores, restaurants, even on buses. When you're going in, leaving, or spending any time inside. You have to have your mouth and nose covered. If you're outside and you can't stay six feet apart, you gotta wear a mask. The rules apply only to people 10 years old and up. But I, for one, will be wearing a mask. Same. Though the rules are new, some things haven't changed. N95s are still the most protective masks you can wear. Hospitals and doctors are still facing a shortage of personal protective equipment. And there's still a run on homemade masks. Although lots of mutual aid sewing groups have stepped up since this episode's stories first ran back in April. And so, because other states are starting to open up with their own sets of rules around masks and social distancing, we thought we'd revisit mask making and mask wearing. On with the show. So here's a little background on the problem for this episode about masks. We don't know that much about how coronavirus is spreading. Exactly how it travels through the air and how long it stays on surfaces is kind of a controversial issue. What we do know is that there's a good case for people wearing masks, like the N95 respirator, to prevent the spread of the disease. N95s are sort of oval-shaped with elastic straps and metal bands to form a tight seal around your nose and mouth. They're designed to block at least 95% of very small particles. But there's a shortage of these masks, because airborne pandemic just wasn't something that the federal government stockpiled supplies for. 
and hospitals spend their money on things besides rooms full of extra N95s. Frontline healthcare workers who need N95s the most are right now having to reuse them. On April 3rd, the CDC officially announced the recommendation that everyone, every single person, wear a mask when they leave their houses. They recommended cloth masks, which aren't as effective as N95s. Depending on what they're made of, though, they might be better than nothing. So there's been a surge in homemade mask making across the country in the last few weeks. We're seeing the birth of a lot of new helpers. Some universities and nonprofits are making masks using 3D printers. In Pittsburgh, a pizza place made cloth masks with their logo using old work t-shirts. In Florida, inmates are making masks, first for prison guards and correctional officers, then for themselves. That's wild. And in Atlanta, three women who I never met before started building a network of sewers. Sewing masks for area hospitals really started based on three strangers on the internet, myself, Kayla Hittig, and Gina Livingston, wanting to combine forces to just get together with a group of our friends and sew masks. That's Sewing Masks for Area Hospitals co-founder Kirsten Hawkins. The group got together just two weeks ago over Facebook and put out a call for sewers who could make masks to give to Atlanta's doctors and nurses. All of a sudden, when we combined efforts, it just created this domino effect and spread like wildfire. In one weekend, 400 people got material to sew face masks. There are now 50 mask drop-off locations across the city and over 30 drivers to shuttle masks and materials. As of this recording, the group has distributed 13,000 masks to more than 50 hospitals and medical facilities throughout Atlanta and beyond. And it's turned into something that really makes people feel less helpless. This is giving people an opportunity to really help from home and maintain social distancing. Sewing Masks for Area Hospitals, or SMAH, is a no-contact assembly line. They take that part really, really seriously. One of the things that we realized was we needed to be able to get people materials in a safe and efficient way, and we were able to do that with this group. Like other social distance assistants, they've come together by staying apart. Getting thousands of homemade masks from individual sewers into the hands of Atlanta-area hospital workers with minimal contact takes some carefully planned steps. Step one, orders come in. Different facilities ask for different types of masks. In this phase, the 21 people on the administrative team spend a lot of time organizing information in spreadsheets. Step two, patterns are selected or updated. Mask patterns can change depending on who will wear them and as the designs get more effective. There are cloth masks that have pockets and filters and look kind of like surgical masks. They're also making masks that doctors and nurses can wear over their N95s so they can use them longer. To help volunteers understand the patterns, SMAH relies on experts with decades of sewing experience, like Nikki G. I test the mask patterns, ensuring they're clearly understood, making each one myself. Then two or three times a week, I work in the warehouse, my garage, (laughs) sending out supplies to mask makers. The rest of the time is like any other job or effort, emails, calls, laughter, taking a break, and planning for the next day. 
and we'll do this until the need is no longer there. Step three. Orders, patterns, and materials go to volunteer sewers. Anyone with a sewing machine can dust that baby off and get the materials they need from us to be able to make these masks. Materials come from all over. Lots of fabric stores are donating to the cause. But so are local theater and ballet companies. This is where Julie Donovan comes in. I know nothing about sewing, but I do know about logistics and organizing things. I then get those raw materials to what we call kit captains. Those kit captains break the big bundles of raw materials up into smaller kits. We then have volunteer drivers that drive those kits to our sewists. Step four, volunteer sewers make masks according to the ordered pattern. Step five, sewers take the finished masks to the drop-off bin. This is where you can really feel the contact-less part of the assembly line. Here's Teresa Robertson-Pope dropping off a bunch of masks to no one. I am currently pulling up to my drop-off location so I can drop off some hand-sewn masks. I see a great big blue bin in the front. Oh, and look, she's got hand sanitizer for me. I'm going to drop in my mask into the bin, close it up, and then use some of her hand sanitizer before I leave. Step six. Masks are picked up from drop-off bins, taken to the fulfillment center, and inventoried. Sam, who, like Julie, doesn't sew, helps out by taking masks in from all the drop-off points sorting them, organizing them, and getting them ready to go out to facilities that ordered them. So in this bag, I have, um, it says it's surgical, that it has elastic ties, and it's with nose wire, and it's a quantity of 25. So that helps me a lot when I'm organizing. Step seven, masks are delivered to area hospitals. Hi, this is Kayla. I'm one of the facility drivers, and I have just recently picked up my bag of masks from the Fulfillment Center. I'm over here at Emory Decatur Hospital, dropping it off at their donation site. I'm going to get my bag with hundreds of masks. And my own mask on too, stay safe. Walking on over. Hi, so I have some masks for you. I'm gonna put it right here on the ground and walk away so we keep the social distancing. All right, hundreds of masks just dropped off at Emory. 21 administrators, 400 sewers, 7,000 Facebook group members, 13,000 masks, over 50 facilities, 10,000 new orders, and no one gets closer than six feet. It's just been incredible. I'm constantly blown away by this group of aunts and moms and mamas. Granny taught me how to sew at age eight, and it's my life now. Hey, if I'm going to be quarantined for weeks and months, what better way to spend my time? It's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I've made, I feel like I've made over 6,000 friends on this journey. It's just a group of volunteers with hearts of gold. And the self-isolation has been something that, yeah, it could have been boring, but I think we found a way to solve that. So not feeling helpless in the midst of this pandemic has myself and for others, from what I've heard as well, has been so good for my mental health and well-being, and I can't say enough about this group. They're amazing people. 
While there are huge operations like sewing masks for area hospitals, there are also people helping out on smaller scales, making cloth masks for friends and family. We found out about SMAH from Dr. Lisa Woolfork, an English professor at UVA with incredible sewing powers. She hosts a podcast called Stitch Please. And, quick aside, she made her own theme music using the rhythm of her sewing machine. Check this out. This is the best theme song I've ever heard. It's so good. Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women's Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. Lisa's podcast covers everything from social justice and quilting to, recently, making homemade masks. Lisa has been sewing for 20 years, and it's been a source of comfort in the past. I really do find sewing to be a place of peace, of relaxation, of entertainment, of fun. And when times are so uncertain, when times are so chaotic and stressful, it has been good to bracket the things that I cannot control and to concentrate my energies on doing something that I really love. So you would think Lisa would sew some masks right away. She is making masks now in April. So I'm cutting out the pocket lining fabric. And for this one... But she wrestled with a lot of doubts before she started. Doubts about whether mask making was the right kind of help to be giving people. I was not making masks in the beginning because I wasn't sure. One of the reasons I thought it was not a good idea to make masks, because I think the masks are not effective, it seemed to me a bad idea to offer this as a solution for a problem that is that is larger than anyone can resolve with their own sewing machine. And then I thought the worst part of it was that there's a lot of folks at the time who were selling these masks, and I saw that as a form of profiteering from a crisis, which seemed unethical and inappropriate to me. So now I need to clip the seam allowances, which will help this turn the right side out. I saw it as a placebo and... I saw it as a panacea. I thought people are going to get these masks and they're going to put them on and then they're going to be hanging out everywhere thinking that I'm protected and I can go where I want to go because I have a mask on and I'm safe. I'm back at the, at the ironing board and I'm pressing the seams open, which is what you have to do in order for it to lie flat across your face. I came to this realization and changed my mind because of my mother. My mother asked for a mask. I was very uneasy about it. I just didn't want to do it. She's 81. She's got one kidney. She lives in Florida, which seems to be inviting all the sick people to come down and hang out on their beaches for spring break. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. And then I realized that my mother is a whole grown-up. And she's going to do what she's going to do. And so I talked with her and she was like, oh, yeah, we went out for a walk on the intercoastal and, you know, we had our masks. And I was like, a mask? Well, what did you get? And she's like, well, I have a painter's mask and then I put a paper towel in it. And that was like my additional filter. And I was like, "Okay." Me not making her a mask is not going to stop her from going out and doing the things that she wants and needs to do. So 
I might as well just make it. And so that's what I did. Next step is to put the lining and the outside of the masks right side together. So the top to the bottom or the inside to the outside. Needle down pivot. We're living in an age now where COVID-19 and the coronavirus has changed everything. And I think it's unrealistic to expect that it's not going to change me and my position and my ideas, that we are in a constant state of flux. And so things that I thought two weeks ago are things that might change in a minute or in the next couple of days or the next couple of months. I always love this part of any sewing project when it goes from being four pieces to two pieces and after this seam, it'll be down to just one piece. Oh, I don't know. I just feel like there's so much unpreparedness at the federal, state, global levels. And to tell individual sewists, individual people, usually individual women, that your sewing machine is the thing that stands between us and disaster is a very problematic burden to place on people. Press this so that it looks nice and neat. That's one thing about people who love to sew, um, or I can't say everybody, but for myself, I really want it to look nice. It's like, Mrs. Woolfork, why are you out in the apocalypse in that poorly sewn mask? I certainly would not want my mother to have to bear the shame of that. I do see my sewing as an act of love. I absolutely do. Like when I make these outfits for my family, when I make clothes for myself, when I make stuff for my other relatives, I do see this as me doing something for them that they can't do for themselves. Lisa must have done a nice job with her mom's mask. Hi, Lisa. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for my new mask. I love it, love it, love it. And if I ever go anywhere, I will be wearing it. In fact, I think I'm just going to put it on and just wear it around in the house. So I really love it, love it, love it. Talk to you later. Bye. Fast forward to June of 2020 and Lisa's incredible polka dot Black Lives Matter mask we've seen her wearing around at protests. Seriously, it is so beautiful. Well, we've seen a lot of masks at protests this week. Last week, the CDC director said that he's really concerned that the message that Americans should wear cloth masks in public isn't resonating. That freaks me out a little bit, because according to the World Health Organization, new daily coronavirus cases worldwide hit a record high on Sunday, June 7th. And for us, it feels pretty weird not to wear one. Yeah. To be honest, I was saying this earlier, I kind of like them. It's pretty cool to go to the protests and see um, all the different kinds of masks that people have come up with. Yeah. If you could design a mask, what would it have on it? Well, I really like that weird cat one that Amaka's wearing at the park. Oh, yeah. It looks like a real <laughs> cat face like yeah. printed on there, so it matches your human nose on the outside. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. Since our first episode about masks, when we made the t-shirt ones that didn't work so good, our friend Zoe 
sewed us masks. Our masks are rainbows and flames. <laughs> and when you're not wearing it, like when you're driving around, you can just pull it down and then you have like a cool scarf around your neck. Bandana scarf thingy. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of dig it. Can you imagine a day, though, where you don't leave your house being like, keys, check, wallet, check, phone, check, mask, check? Well, I don't have a phone or a wallet yet, but... <laughs> sure. Yeah. Do you think it makes it easier to wear a mask if it has a cool design on it? Yeah. It's not just a hospital one? I've never actually really seen a hospital one. Oh, there's a lot of the blue ones that are at the protests. Those are... Uh... That makes a lot more sense. Why so many people have the same mask? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you and your friends talk about your masks at all? Have you guys compared them or been like, how many masks do you have? Are you, are you like collecting them? Like other kinds nah. of accessories? No. Well, that's good because masks seem like the accessory of 2020. The style of 2020. Yeah, but I'm not really ready for like... You guys to have adopted them as that normal yet. That would be kind of weird. Hopefully it's just a temporary fashion thing. Yeah. And that's our show. Everyone's ability to help looks different. But here are a few ideas if you want to become a mask-making helper. If you can sew, make a mask or two or a hundred for your community especially people on the front lines like healthcare providers, but also grocery store clerks, postal workers, funeral home assistants, veterinarians, farm workers, delivery drivers, protesters. If you have materials but no time to make masks, you can donate fabric and elastic to local sewing groups or buy materials from craft stores and arrange contactless deliveries to them. You can look for organizations in your community that need help with logistics. Volunteer to drive masks and materials around. Help moderate a Facebook page or a website. Put those spreadsheet skills to use. Finally, if you can only do one thing right now, which is completely understandable, make or buy your own local cloth mask to wear when you go outside. Social Distance Assistance is produced and engineered by June Tricastle Robinson Jones, Kelly Jones, and Molly Bourne. Our editor is Nate Toby. The guy that makes it all happen is Gavin Wright. Digital assistance from Angela Messino and the VPM News Team. Steve Humble is VPM's Chief Content Officer. Music for this week's episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Shelley Wondersmith and the team at Sewing Masks for Area Hospitals, who sends us audiograms. Amy, Kayla, Julie, Nikki, and Sam. Thanks to WBAE's Morning Edition for audio of Kirsten Hawkins. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we are able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org slash donate to become a member today.
VPM.